Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As you're turning there, we're going to be looking at the second half of chapter 14 today. If you've been coming to church for a while, you know that we have been going through a series on spiritual gifts. That series has been centered around chapter 12 through 14. Today we're going to conclude chapter 14, but we're actually not going to conclude the spiritual gifts series until next week. Next week we're going to look at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and see how that all fits together with the idea of spiritual gifts. Well, those that of you that know me, you know that our family likes to run and uh, we uh, like to run outside if at all possible. And for those who are runners, uh, there's a phrase in the running world called the treadmill, which means when it's so hot or so cold, you have to run on a treadmill. Now, some people like it, but people that like to run outside call it the treadmill. Well, at the YMCA, they have a number of, of, of treadmills. And one of the features that the treadmills have is you can, this, this makes it a little more tolerable for those of us who like to run outside. You can um, pick a feature where you pick a place in the world and it shows you a video like you're running there. And it's usually, I usually do it for like a hill workout. So you can pick the Grand Canyon, you can pick the Swiss Alps, and then you get to rank the difficulty. And what's nice about it is on the screen, it will show you visually what's coming. It'll show you like mountains are coming or flat is coming. So you can kind of look the whole way ahead of what you're going to be doing on the treadmill and know what's going to happen. Well, I share that because this morning we're basically going to start on a hill. It's going to level out a little bit, and then we're going to climb a mountain of difficulty. Um, we're going to be in one of the, the more denser, confusing uh, parts of 1 Corinthians this morning. So you're going to need full engagement mentally. If you have coffee, chug it, and, uh, and let's dive in. So we're, we're at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The subject is spiritual gifts. We've been navigating this for quite some time. I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to the other messages, particularly uh, check out last week and the week before, uh, where uh, I make a biblical case for spiritual gifts. All spiritual gifts have continued and will continue until the return of Christ, and that gifts like the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues are for today within its proper parameters. Um, built lots of fences last week and tried to, to dive into the, the passage. I will build some, but not all today. So just encourage you to grapple with the passage. Let's look at verse 20, starting on a hill. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If there, therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, a, a language from the Lord, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So we're going to start walking through this. We're eventually going to end um, at the end of the chapter in verse 40. So let, let me just kind of set the context. So from chapter 12, verse 1 through chapter 14, the whole context is the subject of spiritual gifts. So he's continuing to talk about it. And we know from both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there were lots of issues in the Corinthian church. There were issues of pride and divisions. Uh, there was issues of immorality. There was issues of drunkenness, even while they're gathering and taking communion. And yet, the Apostle Paul begins this letter by thanking God for all of them, thanking God for the spiritual gifts that they have. And throughout the letter, he's just bringing gentle instruction and correction to areas that need corrected. Um, verse 20, he starts with some correction. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be immature. It's a nice way to say like you're, you're acting like little kids. You're being immature. So he, he's addressing the issue, and he wants to, to help them. Now, where it gets a little dense is what in the world is he talking about in verses 21 through 23. And we're going to wade into that here in a moment. But um, as I set up last week, when, when we're looking at 1 Corinthians and uh, Paul uses the, the, the phrase or the subject of prophecy or prophesying or the subject of tongues or tongues with interpretation, let's define terms there. So prophecy, I like Wayne Grudem's definition on New Testament prophecy. It is best understood as a non-authoritative, specific revelation from God through a Christian with the purpose of building up the church. So God reveals something to one of his children who has a spirit in him. That is not on the same level as the Bible. It's subject to the Bible, but it's a spontaneous revelation that God gives when, often when the church gathers. Tongues, and we spent a lot of time last week talking about it, but it's a God-given language. could be a known language that someone didn't study. Like Spanish, you see that in Acts chapter 2. Or it could be a heavenly language that God gives for the purpose of building up the believer or with interpretation, uh, building up the church. Like always, if you have questions about spiritual gifts, particularly prophecy in tongues, we, we want to talk to you about it. We want to wrestle through the scriptures together. But we believe that the, all of the Bible is useful and we want to grapple with what it what it says. So in context, verse 21, the issue is being mature. So verse 21, he says, in the law, and that I believe is shorthand for the Old Testament um, in this spot because he then quotes the book of Isaiah. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people? And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Then he interprets Isaiah. He says, Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy 
is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If you have your coffee, take, take another swig. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. So falling on his face, he will worship God, declare that God is really among you. So let's, let's figure out what's going on here. I think one of the keys to understanding verse 21 through 23 is understanding when the Bible uses a, the word sign, a sign can, be, um, can represent blessing in the, the Bible or can represent judgment or it can represent both. Um, a positive sign that also represents judgment would be a rainbow in the sky after the flood. That was a promise that God would never flood the earth against a sign, but it was also a sign of judgment that God did judge the earth. So um, when, when Paul is using the word sign, I believe he's using it both ways, a sign of judgment and a sign of blessing. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul often takes great liberty when he's quoting the Old Testament. So in our passage here in Isaiah... This is, is what I think uh, Paul is doing. Now, you wrestle through it in your own. Verse 21. In the law, it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Now, that should cause some confusion because later on he says, um, he seems to say the exact opposite. So what I think is happening here is Paul is saying in context in Isaiah's day, the unbelieving Jewish people, the, this tongue, this strange tongue was a sign of God's judgment. And by that, he means the Assyrian invasion that was going to happen because of Israel's unbelief. And so when they would hear the Assyrian language, um, a tongue they did not understand, it was a sign of of judgment. Um, and therefore, um, he, he's just using that in context. And then he says in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speaks in tongues and an outsider unbelievers enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So he, he's saying tongues can be a sign of God's judgment. And then he's also saying prophecy can be a sign of God's blessing. Because you think about what, what prophecy is, it is evidence that God's spirit is in God's people and that God is present among them. So if God is giving a revelation to somebody, that is a huge sign of God's blessing. That means God, the, the creator of heaven and earth, is at work among us. And he's revealing very specific things to his people to build up his people. Now you wrestle through those things together, but listen, here's the, the intended effect of the blessing of the gift of prophecy. This is why, as we looked at last week, if, if you think of 1 Corinthians 14 as Paul like driving a car, he puts his foot on the gas every time he talks about prophecy. He wants us to pursue it. He wants us to seek it. He wants us to ask for that gift because it has this blessing, this encouraging effect 
on his people. And here's the, the intended effect. Look at verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. So prophecy is a sign of God's blessing for believers, but those who don't know the Lord, it also has great benefit. For example, even this morning, it's one of the reasons we have a ministry, Mike, that we want to be open to the spontaneous moving and, and sharing of God's Spirit through God's people. And so Marcy was stirred to believe that, that there may be a, a person or people here that God particularly wants to open their eyes to see Jesus. See, God loves you so much that he will speak to you very specifically. And the intended effect is this in verse 25. The secret, secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So this, this gift, this revelatory gift is to show that God's at work among us. In past weeks, I've quoted Charles Spurgeon, the, the famous English pastor from the 1800s, where he would preach and, and very specific uh, revelation would be given to him about very specific issues in the congregation to which he was preaching, and people would encounter the Lord. Now, that was not on equal ground with the Bible. That was under the authority of Scripture. I mean, you think of it this way, even in John 4, when Jesus is um, talking to the woman at the well and he has very specific information about her private personal life, uh, her, her response was, come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Well, Jesus didn't do that. He told her a very specific thing. And the effect was, oh, there's a God who sees all and knows all. And her heart was open to the Lord. That's the intended effect. So we want to pursue the gift of prophecy. We want to pursue gifts that build up. Brings us to our second point. We should be expectant that God will speak through his word and his people when we gather. Both are true. We should be expectant that God will speak through his word and his people. So remember when we were in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and we saw that God gives gifts to all of his people. Anyone who has his spirit has been gifted by God and that's to be a benefit to the entire body of Christ, the entire local church. Both are to be pursued. They're not equal. God's word is the standard, it's the authority, but God's people are are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to encourage and strengthen one another. So let's look and see, is this, is this here in the passage? Look at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a song of praise, a lesson, a teaching, a revelation, I would think that falls into the, the prophetic gifts, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up or the building up of the church. So what he's saying here is when we gather, 
we should be expectant that God through his Holy Spirit will use us to encourage one another, to build one another up, to strengthen one another. This is why like, we, we are very grateful for technology. We're grateful for video and that those of you who can't be here get to, to be on the receiving end. But it's not the same as when we gather. Because when we gather, there's this mutual encouragement, this mutual benefit of sharing our gifts and encouragement with one another. And it has this collective strengthening of the church. That can be done in formal sharing at like a ministry mic or through a testimony, but it can often be done in just the casual conversations that we have before the church begins, before the service begins, during our break time and at the end of church, that we are encouraging one another. And I would encourage you to keep doing that all the more. That's why it's so important that we gather both in formal Sunday gatherings and throughout the week. Uh, Look at verse 26, or 27. See, Paul now is going to give some instruction. He's he's encouraging something, and now he's going to give some parameters, some guidelines. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent, that's the tongue speakers, in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, if this is a new subject or an uncomfortable subject for you, I really encourage you to listen to last Sunday's sermon. But in case you don't do that, let me just say a few things. If anyone speaks in a tongue, he's talking about this language gift that's from the Lord. And he's saying it should only be shared in the public church gatherings if there's somebody that has the gift to interpret it. Because if no one interprets it, no one understands what the person's saying. I mean, think of it this way. If I speak to you in German and you do not know German, it's of no benefit to you. You might like the the hard syllables, but you really have no idea what I'm saying. So what is true in an earthly language is also true of a heavenly language. Now the gift, though, as we saw last week, it's given to to build up the individual Christian. So it has a benefit, even if there's not interpretation, but it's a private use benefit, not a public sharing kind of benefit. So the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthians to pursue all gifts, including this language gift of speaking in tongues, but he wants them to do it in the right parameters. And oftentimes where I think Christians get confused and disillusioned is those who believe that these gifts are for today are excited about them but might not be quick to follow the the God-given parameters that are laid out here in 1 Corinthians 14. So we want to pursue the gifts, but we want to do so in the the humbly in the God-given parameters. So now he's going to give some more instruction uh, for those who prophesy. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. And he's making a distinction, I believe, from Old Testament prophets and the New Testament gift of prophecy. So when they're speaking, it's not an addition to the Bible. And let the others weigh what is said. 
If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So he's trying to bring some order. It sounds like at times, if you read 1 Corinthians, it is quite a chaotic church experience. You guys are all super quiet. I don't think that was happening at all when the Corinthian church gathered. And, and probably because pride was an issue, when one started to share, the other probably thought what they had to share was more important. So it seems like they were just kind of talking over one another, running over one another with their, their, their speech. So he's saying, don't, don't do that. Um, and, he's, and he says, let others weigh what is being said. So we should evaluate. So if somebody shares something from the ministry, Mike, we'd encourage you to evaluate that. Is this true? Does this fit with Scripture? You can, you can weigh those things. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. So in some ways, uh, Paul is into the instruction manual of how do we actually functionally experience these spiritual gifts in such a way that doesn't cause confusion, that's done in order, and has this corporate benefit to building up and strengthening the church. So he says, you can all prophesy one by one, take your Time, take your turn, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. So even if we're all speaking in English, and five of us are talking at the exact same time, unless you're a mom of multiple toddlers, you probably can't listen. You can't pay attention. You can't hone in. Um, some are more skilled than, than others, but let's go one by one, and that way all benefit. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. You're going to see, I put that, I'm going to use this phrase two different ways, and I'll explain that in a moment. But verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. So God gives gifts. God gives instructions to how to, how to properly exercise those gifts in a way that benefits the whole church. And so we want to pursue the gifts and we want to follow the instructions and do so humbly with a hard attitude of the love of Christ, which is what the Apostle Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7. So there is a tension that, that Paul is trying to navigate. And the tension is this. We want to be open to the spontaneous moves of the Holy Spirit. And we want to avoid a confusing chaos at the same time. And knowing many of you here this morning in the room and probably those watching too, uh, some of us have a, a bigger, let's say, capacity for what we determine as chaos than others. Some like a really neat, tight, orderly, and some, you know, you're, you, it's got to get pretty wild till you feel like we're hitting chaos. Um, well, part of that's our personalities, God-given. Part of it's our experience in, in churches. So we want to love each other and appreciate those who are on different spots in that spectrum. And so if you're here and your, your window of comfort of things that make you uncomfortable is very narrow and you have a friend in the church who's like way, 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 way over here. Um, if you're the one who's the friend way over here, you just want to make, just be aware that
um, things that you don't think are very uncomfortable may feel really uncomfortable for them. So in a spirit of love, you just want to be gentle and you guys want to learn from each other and sharpen each other. So that's the tension he's navigating. And in the church in Corinth, um, it sounds like all of that was happening. So let's look at point number three. And this is where things are going to get a little tricky for a moment. We must avoid confusion and strive to pursue, use, and evaluate the spiritual gifts in an orderly manner. So now we're going to get into a section of the Bible that at first read for myself when I'm reading it, it is jarring. It, it, it's like, oh, is that really what it says? Can that really be what it says? And so if we're back to the, the treadmill analogy at the YMCA, we're about to climb up Mount Everest by foot, and it's going to be steep, and it's going to take work. But just like a hill workout, there's great benefit to doing difficult things in life and in the study of Scripture, because it, it teaches us a lot. So this is one of the reasons why, even in a series on spiritual gifts, we like to go line for line through books of the Bible. Because what it does is it forces us to deal and walk through and try to understand passages that we might otherwise just want to avoid. And so it forces us, it makes us, I think, the, the better for it and the healthier for it. So we're going into a difficult section in 1 Corinthians 14. If you look this section up on the internet or in commentaries, there are many, many interpretations of this passage. And so I don't claim to, like, I got the right one. Um, but I am persuaded of a particular interpretation. I'll try to persuade you. But like always, we want you to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. You need to wrestle through the Scriptures. And I wonder, what, what does this really mean? I think some things in this passage are really clear. And I think some are fuzzy. So we'll do our best to, to walk through it. Tell I'm really building it up. So then you're like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> Let's dig in. Um, so that, that holdover from, from verse 33, the reason I read it both places is because there is even debate. Does this phrase fit with what was said earlier about God not being a God of confusion? Or does it fit later with what the Apostle Paul is about to say? So I'm, I'm putting it in both places. You can work on that one on your own. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. So women should keep silent in the churches. Okay, another encouragement. Don't react. Let's just work through it and don't mentally shut down. Let's engage and we'll, we'll talk through it. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. So you feel the, the reaction there. If there is anything they desire to learn, I'm going to like this one either, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. So let's continue and then we'll, we'll walk slowly through it. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. 
If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So what, what's happening here, he hones in on a very specific thing in verses um, 33b, possibly 34 and 35. And then he hones back out and then he kind of wraps up his section on spiritual gifts. So let's, let's start wide lens and we're going to, to work hard to apply a hermeneutical principle. It just means a science of biblical interpretation, which is let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if something seems unclear or seems, wow, that, that's inconsistent with what is written in other places, we're going to look at the Bible passages that are relevant and let them help bring out a clear interpretation. So let's just kind of walk through this. So first of all, remember he's writing to the Corinthians. And the subject that we're in right now is spiritual gifts. But what do we know about the Corinthian issues? We know pride was an issue. 1 Corinthians 5, we know divisions, jealousy, and strife were issues. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 3. We know immaturity was an issue that he keeps revisiting um, in chapters 3, 6, and 11. And we know immorality was, was present as well. We see that in chapters 5, 6, and 11 at least. So that's kind of on the negative. That was their, their, their presenting issues. On the positive, what do we know about spiritual gifts that he has made really clear so far in chapters 12 through 14? We know this. Every Christian has been gifted. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know that, believe that, and experience the gifts we've been given. We know from 1 Corinthians 12 that every gift is important. Every Christian is an essential part of the body of Christ and is to be valued. That's really clear in chapter 12. We know from chapter 12 that the gifts were given for the common good. And we know that when the church gathers, we're to seek the gifts that build up. So that's all nice stuff. That's all true stuff. So let's go back to our passage. This hasn't helped yet, but I'm just, we're going to get there. As in the churches of the saints, the women should be kept silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law says. Now, keep notes. He used that phrase to refer to Isaiah as well. I think that's a clue. Is there anything they desire to learn? If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, so what are some scriptures in the Bible that might help shed light onto this subject? Uh, first one we're going to look at is Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost when God's Holy Spirit is poured out after Jesus had ascended. He told the disciples, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then the whole book of Acts is this, this discovery and experience of the Holy Spirit not just being poured out on the Jewish people, but on all people. So look at verse 16 and following. But this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be. And I would define the last days. You can figure this one out for yourself too. As when Jesus ascended. The period of time from when he ascended. To when he will one day return. So we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended. 
Um, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons, listen to this, this is a clue to help us understand our passage, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So, we have the gift of prophecy here. In context, in 1 Corinthians 14, the subject is the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And we know from Joel, he, he prophesied a day where men and women, young and old who have God's Spirit in them, will prophesy. Then we have this great promise in the book of Jeremiah. And I'm just going to read a portion of This is the promise of the new covenant. And the promise of the New Covenant is incredible if you read the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, there were very strict parameters of who could go into God's presence, when they could go into God's presence, and how they could go into God's presence. And then God sent His Son Jesus, and He opened the way wide for all to enter God's presence. So this is Jeremiah 31. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. In other words, because of what Jesus has done, everyone and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can know the living God in a personal way. Such a personal way as Jason read during our, our worship time, God's Spirit comes inside of us and makes us alive. So we, believers, male and female, young and old, become the dwelling place of God Himself. We're, we're getting to a place where we're, we're heading here. Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Galatians, the context, Paul is talking about justification by faith alone, meaning God declares sinners to be covered and clothed in the righteousness of Christ the moment they call out to Jesus. And God's Spirit is in them, and it says in Galatians, will work miracles among them because of their justification in Christ. And so this this. Reality that, that God has, has poured out His Spirit on all people who call on Jesus, no matter social class, no matter race, no matter um, any distinction that would have divided. It has all been made open as far as access to the Lord. So, in the New Testament, I believe Acts 2 encourages women to prophesy. And we learn from the Apostle Paul that prophecy is happening in the gathered church. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.5 says, oh wait, let's look at Acts 21 first. So we, we learn that Philip has four daughters who, who all have the gift of prophecy. So look at um, Acts 21 verses 8 and 9. On the next day we departed, we came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, 
and we stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And Luke's recording this as a good thing. They had the gift of prophecy and it built up and encouraged God's people. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 11, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So, if you can, set aside head coverings and shaving heads and, and all of that. Uh, we're not going to have time to get into that. Be happy to talk to you more about thoughts on that. But the big idea in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 11 is there's a category for women to be praying and prophesying when the church gathers. Because if you read 1 Corinthians 11, the, that section ends with in the church. So it's the gathered church that Paul has in mind. So I'm persuaded very clearly that if you put all those things together, that when Paul says women are to be silent, I don't believe he is, he is saying universally silent. Women are not to speak in the gathered church context in any way because I think the case is really clear that women can pray, women can prophesy. Women are to be an active part of the gathered local church. So in our context, so we, we think that also applies to women leading worship and women reading scripture and women encouraging from uh, the ministry mic. And so I don't think that is what this is prohibiting. Because if you remember in, in verse, I think 20... Well, you can find them here. But the one I mentioned where the, the, the tongue speaker is to remain silent, um, that doesn't mean that if they have the gift of tongues, they're never allowed to talk in the gathered church context. It means in context to their, their tongue speaking, they're to remain silent. Um, likewise, where we're heading is, I think, a plausible interpretation of what this means for a woman to be silent is in the context of the gift of prophecy, particularly not in the sharing of prophecy because that is encouraged by Philip's daughters, by 1 Corinthians 11, by Joel's promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Um, I, I think it could be in the context of the evaluation of the gift of prophecy. And the reason I think that, and I think this is a plausible interpretation um, is because of a phrase that the Apostle Paul says. So look, look at our passage again in verse 34. The women should be kept silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So as the law also says, can be a shorthand for the Old Testament, can be a shorthand for, for the first five books of the Bible. And so I believe that is a clue to, to helping us understand that Paul has something in mind about male-female stuff that has something to do with the Old Testament law. And if you study, and I want you to wrestle through this on your own, so don't believe this because I'm teaching this, but if you study 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 15, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, or Ephesians 5, 21 through 31, what you'll notice is in those three sections where he talks about 
specific duties, responsibilities for, for men and women, he anchors it in the book of Genesis, particularly the creation order of Adam and Eve. And so I think in context, because it's evaluating the gift of prophecy, the context is prophecy. He's saying, go back to the law. Um, I think it has everything to do with evaluating the gift of prophecy in the gathered church context, um, which would fit with Paul's prohibition in 1 Timothy 2 of um, governing and authority being given to um, pastors in a local church. So that's a lot, and I've tried to build a case there. Um, gave you a lot of homework to do, but I want you to, to study and, and work through it on your own. I think it's really clear, but the Bible does not contradict the Bible. So we want to wrestle through the scriptures on difficult subjects, and I think some are going to be clearer than others. One of the reasons we're going to 1 Corinthians 15 next week is because Paul will pull us out of all of this and say, here's what's of most importance. And we're going to look at that next week. So this is not an airtight interpretation, but I think it's a very plausible interpretation that these parameters, this not speaking, has everything to do with the public evaluation of the spiritual gifts. You study on your own and let me know what you think. Before we move on to the very last part here, though, whenever we talk about um, what the Bible says about men and women, I think it's important to just remind us of some very specific truths that are crystal clear that need to be said and said again and again whenever this subject is brought up. Here's a couple. God created men and women equally to be his image bearers, to represent God on earth. So that is crystal clear in the Bible. God powerfully and fully dwells among all Christians, male and female. All Christians, young and old, male and female, no matter who they are, have been gifted and have value because of the Lord making them and knowing them. All Christians have um, men and women God calls to a variety of duties and responsibilities. That, that you see that throughout the scriptures. That you see that pre-fall and you see that throughout the Bible. Now listen to this one. Because as a pastor, this one rears its ugly head at times. And I want men to listen to this particularly. All biblical passages, any biblical passage that address the subject of men and women must never be used or twisted as a weapon for men to oppress, abuse, demean, or mistreat women in any way. Let me read that again. Any biblical passage that addresses the subject of men and women must never be used or twisted as a weapon for men to oppress, abuse, demean, or mistreat women in every way. That's a serious thing. The Bible can be used as a weapon out of context, misinterpreted, to cause harm. Do not do that. And if you're on the receiving end of that, as a woman, never entertain that. If, if, if anyone's trying to do that, they are wrong. They are not representing the heart of God in any way. They're, they're representing their selfish desires 
and ambitions. So that's a lot. Remember, we're actually in the context of spiritual gifts. So if this raises some questions or good conversation, we'd love to have those uh, conversations and discussions with you. So we're on the treadmill. We just went up to, we're like 14,000 feet in altitude. We're way up there. We're going to come down the other side as he, he, as he lands. So in verse 36, what I think he's doing now is he is, he's leaving the very specific question or discussion about women in the gathered church context. And now he's going back broader to the subject of spiritual gifts and I think the subject of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. So he says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Uh, yeah. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only one that it reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So in other words, Paul's like reminding them because the people that particularly prophesied or spoke in tongues, they thought they were something special. He's saying, I am writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the written word of God that you are receiving is eons above any spiritual gift that you are operating in and you need to be subject to the written word of God. And if you can't recognize that, he says, we can't recognize you. Now he's doing that as authoritative apostle who is writing the Bible. We can't do what he just did there. He's doing that as one who is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So now he's, he's pulling it out further. And then verse 39 and 40. He's going to close out this section. And he went from stern and firm. So my brothers, verse 39, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid the speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So he says, so my brothers and sisters, you have been gifted by God's Holy Spirit. You're to use those gifts to strengthen and build up the body of Christ and do it in a way that doesn't confuse but is an expression of love and care for God's people. And the effect, not only will the church be strengthened, but those who don't yet know the Lord will encounter the Lord through you all. So let's pray if you wouldn't mind standing and the band can come up. Father, thank you for your word, Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help us all to just wrestle and, and grapple with your word and understand it and apply it and live it and do so in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, we pray that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be operational among us in greater ways as we gather. And we will give you the glory. We will give you the, the honor for that. Lord, we want to be amazed that your spirit has been poured out in mass to all who call on you. That is an incredible gift from you. And we, we thank you for it. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.